Sons of Saturday, Virginia Tech Hoops pod, Ed, the Hokies made it to the final of the Charleston Classic, lost 77-75 to to Charleston on their home floor in a really hard-fought game over the weekend on Sunday. It was an interesting tournament. It went a little bit different than I maybe anticipated. The result, I guess I'm not too surprised about. I, I just wasn't expecting to necessarily see Charleston in the final if Tech were to make it that far. So, I, you know. I thought Tech played fine. I thought that was my that's my main takeaway. I thought Tech played fine. Yeah, I thought for an early season tournament, Virginia Tech ran into two really good teams, um, and then another interesting matchup in ODU stylistically. That was kind of you know we thought that might be a tough one, and it was tougher than maybe we thought it would be. But um, Penn State's a really good team that we were able to knock off, and then Charleston is off to a really good start to the year. I mean, they played UNC really tough in the opener. They beat a good Richmond team. Uh, they, they handled Davidson really well, and then they beat Colorado State by double digits. Um, you know, when we ran into Charleston in the final, that was always going to be tough. It was a completely sold-out game. Uh, all the students were still in town in Charleston, so it was a good student section for them. Uh, a true road game early in the season. You don't get that opportunity a lot, and I think that will benefit the Hokies moving forward. Uh, so overall, it was a really good weekend in uh, down in Charleston. I think we learned a lot, um, and I think we now know – we have a better picture of where we need to grow moving forward as a team. Yeah, we'll get into the individual games themselves in a second, but a couple <clears throat> bigger, like, overarching takeaways real quick. Number one, I think Charleston could absolutely be a tournament team. Yeah. Now, it's it's early, right? But Kelsey has them really, really well coached. But that was my takeaway even before Tech ran into them in the final, is that if Tech were to play Charleston, it was going to be a tough game, a tougher game than I think people thought. And, you know, watching them, I was really impressed with how they played in the entire tournament. You know, I kept my eye on it because I was interested to see who Tech would play if they moved on. And just seeing the way they play, um, real physical defensively, they could shoot the lights out. Um, they they hang tough with their shooting. You know, they, they keep themselves in games. And I think we saw that on Sunday and ultimately made they made the plays down the stretch. Tech didn't. Um, that was my that was my big takeaway from Charleston, right? I think they're they're very good. You mentioned this before we hit record. I think that Penn State one's going to come back and be pretty big at the end of the year. Uh, Penn State, they can shoot, right? That kid Funk. Every time every time Tech looked like they were trying to pull away, Funk would hit a huge three. It was like they can't put this game away, right? And yeah. it felt that way in the Old Dominion game too. Tech went up double digits, couldn't really put it away. But my big takeaway that I was texting you about was that I thought Tech did a really good job of finding different ways to win. They shot it really, really poorly this weekend. You know, all three games, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, We we know the three-point stats was not very good. Penn State game in particular, like Tech couldn't make anything on Friday. Uh, They were real fortunate to get out of that Penn State game with a win. Really good defensive possession at the end. But, you know, one of the things we talked about last week was – how is this team going to adapt if the shots shots aren't falling, right? Because last year Tech had a lot of trouble creating offense when the threes weren't falling. And the big takeaway you and I had when we talked about kind of our, our recap of the first week of the year was that this team looked deep, number one, like deeper than it has looked under any team that Mike Young has had at Virginia Tech. There were multiple guys who could score off the bounce, which Tech hasn't really had since 
Buzz Williams' final team in Blacksburg. And we thought that Tech would be able to adapt and, and play different types of styles of play to win basketball games. And I think we saw that in, in a small sample size, albeit a three-game sample size down in Charleston. When the shots aren't falling from deep, that's not going to doom Tech this year like, like it has in years past. I think Tech's got a team that's a little bit more versatile offensively, which I think will come will come in handy when we get into conference play and start facing better competition more consistently. Yeah, I mean, I, a couple of people to highlight in terms of the being able to score and win different ways. I think Justin Mutz, one-on-one uh, -on -one down in the block, is much improved. Uh, he, he does tend to sometimes find himself way too far under the basket, uh, but in general, he, he looked really good isolation down on the block in Charleston in all three games. Um, I think he had a better tournament than people realize. I think to the eye initially, it was like, where's Justin Mutz? I feel like he hasn't done much, but then you look at it, and I think he left Charleston with, um, only one double double, but both of the other two games he had nine rebounds. So uh, could have been easily, three. easily could have had three double doubles in Charleston and played. Uh, you know, he left a little bit to be desired, but overall a pretty good tournament. And then you talked about, you know, we saw it in the first three games before Charleston. Sean Padula's ability to score, get to the basket, um, and hit contested jump shots. He had some spurts in Charleston where he struggled. I think the, the step up in competition. Took a little bit of an adjustment period for him, but in general, his ability to get to the basket and score. And then Grippa Silly was much more multidimensional offensively uh, throughout the tournament as well, being able to score down in the paint. So, yeah, I agree. The team shot really poorly from three. Um, three of 19 against Penn State from deep, and then six of 27 against Charleston. Um, those numbers are almost unsustainably bad. You know, you, you don't expect Hunter Couture and Darius Max and Sean Padula to shoot that poorly from three. So um, I think that's definitely a bright spot that you're able to get two wins um, in Charleston. You know, all three were very close games. You talked about the ability or inability to close out some of those games. You know, ODU was able to creep back into it after you beat them by 14 in the first half. They were able to climb back into it and Tech only won the game by four. And then uh, same with Penn State. You know, there were times down the stretch where the Hokies were ahead by a good margin and Penn State was able to claw back and make it a game. Now, Penn State threw some stuff in, literally threw some stuff in uh, at the end of the game and made it closer than maybe it should have been. Um, but Virginia Tech needs to do a better job of closing those games out because then you see in the Charleston game, the Hokies have the lead late and, are, and aren't able to close the door. So being able to close games late is something that plagued this team last year. And hopefully we are able to learn from it, from our experiences in Charleston and not have that be an issue this year as the schedule only gets harder from here on out. Yeah, when Tech starts facing better competition, it's going to be harder and harder to close these games out, right? And the yeah. fact that Tech was able to still close out two of the three um, in Charleston, I, I think you can kind of look at glass half full in that regard. Yep. Glass half empty is, you know, maybe it shouldn't have ever gotten to that point, right? Tech had the lead against Charleston, blew it. Tech had a lead against Penn State, almost blew it. Tech had a 14-point lead at halftime against Old Dominion, got outscored by 10 in the second half, didn't play their best defensive game. And that was the one game that I thought Virginia Tech shot pretty well against Old Dominion. They were 10 of 23 from three, shot almost 45% from the floor. It was a decent offensive game for Tech in the Old Dominion game. Defensively is kind of where they had their shortcomings. I thought they struggled a little bit with Old Dominion size for sure. Um, Old Dominion had 28 defensive rebounds in that game. That can't happen. Um, so so this, is a, this is an interesting thing I want to touch on as well, lineup wise. Old Dominion, we saw, we knew their size was was going to be an issue going in. And so Mike Young tries to counteract that by bringing Grant Basile off the bench. He started Lynn Kidd in that game, 
which I wasn't totally surprised about, but we were texting about that saying, you know what, this could be a lineup dependent thing where Lynn Kidd might have some spot starts in place of Basile. Obviously, it doesn't really matter who starts. It matters who finishes the game. Basile is going to be out there a ton. Even in that game against Old Dominion, he still played 26 minutes. So it's not like yeah. his, his minutes his minutes went down um, any more than, you know, he's he's played, you know, throughout the year so far. You know, he's he's had those consistent minutes, whether he's been starting or coming off the bench. Even though Lynn Kidd started, he only played 12 minutes against Old Dominion. So it, it was almost like throw Kidd out there, see how he adapts as, as a starter, because you kind of need his his bigger body in there defensively from, from a lineup standpoint against a really big Old Dominion team. Um, but I, I think it could be matchup dependent. I think Basili will certainly start most games, and that might continue to be the case even in conference play when they face bigger teams like Carolina, for example. You know, maybe Basili still starts and, and they still bring Kidd off the bench. But I thought it was interesting that Mike Young made that lineup adjustment and tried to see how that would look, bringing Basili off the bench in that game against Old Dominion. Yeah, it felt like against ODU he was challenging Grant Basili defensively. Like, look, you if you're not going to play good defense, you, you can't start for this team. Um, now, I thought Basile's defense was much improved in Charleston yeah. in all three games than it was in the three games prior. Um, he does, you know, he has a tendency to get beat sometimes, but showed good recovery ability to get back and block a shot, even when he does get beat. I thought his defense was improved. It's got a long way to go, but I thought it was better. Um, I thought the defense from the guards was questionable at times. Both Bedula yeah. and Maddox seemed to revert to some of their early season struggles last year on the defensive end. And it cost Darius Maddox a lot of minutes because he ended up, you know, getting beat, having to foul, and having to sit a lot in that Charleston game um, because yeah. of his one-on-one defensive ability. I talked about this in the Twitter space after the Charleston game. Billy asked the question, you know, what do you think we need to do to get better defensively? And I think it's really as simple as just playing better one-on-one defense. Justin Mutz can't guard everybody every game. Uh, his ability to erase uh, inefficiencies defensively is super unique and really helpful to have, but he can't do it every game, especially as the player he's guarding gets better and better as we get into ACC play. So uh, Sean Padula and Darius Maddox need to play better one-on-one defense um, moving forward. And I think if they do, even just marginally, that'll make a big difference moving forward. Um, I thought the ODU game, we got really sleepy in the second half. You know, you win the first half by 14, you think you're going to coast. But ODU showed some really good ability. Jenkins had 24 for them off the bench. He was, he was. I mean, he he couldn't miss in the second half. I mean, Sean Padula was playing decent defense, and Jenkins was just scoring anyway. Um, so I, I was glad to see we were able to close that one out and not start off that tournament in a really bad way. Um, the Penn State game, that was a good team. You know, they're ranked 30th in Ken Palm, Virginia Tech's 29th. So that gives you an idea of what kind of team Penn State has this year. I know. Um, people in Big Ten circles think that Penn State can make some noise in that conference. And, you know, from a Virginia Tech perspective, now that we got by them, let's hope they do. Let's hope they have a good year in the Big Ten um, and continue to continue their hot shooting. You talked about Funk with his 21. It seems like, you know, a typical Virginia Tech game. You, some guy has a career high. Uh, some guy who you didn't expect to have a good game has a career high against them. the transfer. Yeah. So Funk had a really good game. Virginia Tech was able to overcome a really poor shooting night and win that game. Justin Mutz had 10 and 12 uh, and four Hokies in double figures. And Couture only had three points in that Penn State game. So uh, I look for Couture and Mutz to continue to try to lead the way as the schedule gets tougher. They need to be more assertive offensively. And you saw that in the Charleston game. Both those guys made it a point to, you know, when, when Charleston would go on a run, 
Couture would come down and score or Mutz would score and stop that run. And you need that from your veteran players. And those two guys, I think I need to see a little bit more out of Couture offensively because I know he has it. His game is much more developed than just a come off of a ball screen and shoot a three guy. He can get yeah. to the basket. Uh, he can create his own shot off the dribble like we saw in the Duke game last year in the ACC championship. So I would love to see more from Couture. That was my main thought going into the Charleston game, and he delivered with 17. Um, so those guys, I love to continue to see the veterans uh, be more assertive offensively. And then when you talk about the Charleston game more, Mutz had 16 and 9. I thought he played a really good game against Charleston. Uh, Charleston in general, I think their team speed and getting up and down the floor was something Virginia Tech hadn't really seen yet this year. Those guys were flying up and down the floor, getting shots off. Uh, kind of had Arkansas vibes, which is funny because – their coach, Charleston's coach, reminded me of Musselman in his early days at Arkansas, jumping up in the student section, taking his shirt off, all that fun stuff. I got big-time Arkansas vibes from that Charleston team, and I think they're going to make some noise this year. Um, they, they look very good. A typical, you know, 2022 basketball team, bunch of transfers, a couple D2 transfers even, Wofford transfer at the guard spot. Uh, it, was, it was kind of fun to watch them play, but overall, I thought Virginia Tech's downfall in the Charleston game was bench scoring. Uh, Virginia Tech only had five points off the bench, all coming from MJ Collins, who we'll talk about more in a minute. But College of Charleston had 40 off the bench. Uh, the Virginia Tech bench is going to need to provide more offensively moving forward as we get into the tougher part of the schedule. Otherwise, uh, you know, that's just not sustainable. Five points from one player off the bench, you got to have more production from the Lynn kids and the Malaja Poteets and eventually the Rodney Rices of the world. Uh, it's, it's not sustainable to expect five guys to score all your points. Yeah, I, I think we're all eagerly awaiting the Rodney Rice return, which I think is going to be sooner rather than later. Yeah. The one thing I will say is like how many times, and I think I brought this up before, but like how many times have we been really excited about a freshman coming in who's like really highly rated, recruit, highly touted, and he comes in, and he's not quite ready yet. Now, I think, yeah. let me preface that by saying, I think Rodney Rice is ready from an offensive standpoint. I think he'll be an impact player. But I just caution Hokie fans to like, temper your expectations a little bit here because we all thought Joe Bamisil was going to come in and pop. We all thought Darius Max was going to come in and pop. It's not always instantaneous with these, with these big time recruits. It just doesn't always work that way. That's not to say that Rodney Rice can't come in and be really good. I think he definitely can. I think he's got that in him. He's a really good player, but I don't think that Virginia tech is just going to get Ronnie rice back. And then all of a sudden the, the bench scoring issue is gone. Like I think Elijah Petit's going to have to play better. I think Lynn Kent's going to have to play better offensively. MJ Collins has been kind of anchoring the bench scoring. He's going to have to continue to play well. Um, and then John Camden, who I thought would have a little bit of a bigger role on this team. Ed, I think when Rodney rice comes back, Camden could be a guy who could be potentially the odd man out in the rotation. I know Mike Young likes to play like nine or 10 guys. Um, Camden could potentially have a bigger role as the season goes along, but I have a feeling that, you know, if there was one guy in the rotation that might fall out when Rodney Rice comes in, I think it could be John Camden. Yeah. I, I've been surprised with the lack of minutes from Camden as well. He's kind of a tweener. I don't really know whose minutes you take away because you can't right. take months off the floor. And then the other guy who would kind of logically be the person that he would play for is Couture, and you can't really take him off the floor either. Those are right. your two best defensive players. So Camden's kind of found himself in a tough spot. Um, I agree entirely with the Rodney Rice take. I think while he's going to be a big piece of this team down the stretch, bump the brakes early. Um, I think a successful season for Rodney Rice would be similar to Nikhil Alexander-Walker's 2018 year as a true freshman where um, he was able to provide some scoring, 
a little bit more of a you know dynamic player. You know the type of player he is was very similar in terms of the rankings to Nikhil. Um, if he can have that kind of year where he's got a good carved out role and a good amount of minutes he's going to play, but he doesn't have to be relied on super heavily. I think that's a successful year for Rodney Rice. Um, and I do think he will solve the two biggest problems that I not solve entirely, but will help solve the two biggest problems I saw in Charleston, which were bench scoring and playmaking ability. Um, there were, it can't just be Sean Padula making all the plays off the dribble. Hunter Couture has got to step up in that regard. Darius Maddox has to be more willing to be assertive offensively. And then I think Rodney Rice has a, that element to his game as well, that he'll be able to uh, jump in and help off the bench, scoring, playmaking, and lightening the load on Sean Padula so he doesn't have to do so much. I've been a little underwhelmed with Darius Maddox so far. I have um, too. So here's the thing. Like, he's he's a good – he's a very good player, right? Um, has the ability to fill it up. Um, has the ability to defend well. Like, that's all in him. We just got to see him more consistently, right? I think through stretches of last year, especially – January, February timeframe, then obviously through the conference tournament, we saw the good version of Darius Max, the kind that's going to be aggressive on both ends of the floor and really be an impact player for this team. He's giving me some Ahmed Hill vibes in terms of like being a little bit more passive. Yeah. When, when, Ahmed, when Ahmed Hill was at his best, he was really aggressive. He was getting to the basket. He was defending at a high level. Hill was always a really good defender. I think that's where it's kind of different from, from Maddox. Hill was a higher level defender. But offensively, I'm getting similar vibes in terms of like, we know that's in there, just be more aggressive, right? And that's a concern I have, right? Because I think if Darius Maddox isn't being aggressive, then I think the onus is really going to be on a guy like Rodney Rice as a true freshman to come in and be be a guy who's going to have to contribute even more offensively in a way that, you know, I think fans would love to see. We would love to see Rice come in and, and be outstanding offensively. But also, just realistically speaking, I think it's going to take a minute to adjust to college basketball, especially when you start getting into ACC play against better competition and better better defensive guards. Maddox has that in him. He's got three years of, you know, three years of experience behind him already. Like you gotta you gotta be a little bit more aggressive, and I think that's going to be a major key for this team moving forward. Because if he's not aggressive and he keeps being a little bit more passive on the offensive end that rolls downhill a little bit. And then you start wondering, okay, how is this bench going to play moving forward? Can it be consistent? So that's a concern I have, Ed. That's definitely a concern I have. I think Maddox, if he's if he plays like he did the second half of last year, no worries. If he starts playing kind of like he did the first half of last year, which I think is what we see more of here over the first six games of the year, I have some longer-term concerns about the status of the backcourt for this team. I think it's easy to overlook that now, but I think it's something we're going to have to continue to monitor here. Yeah, and I wanted to look this up really quick because it feels like it feels like a lot of my concerns about Maddox, at least offensively, would go away if he started making shots we know he can make at a high level. Right. Because he's averaging eleven a game, and I was while you were talking, I was thinking about. It, I was like, I feel like he is really efficient, and, and you know what, the stats back that up. He's shooting fifty percent from the field even while shooting 29% from three. It, it, what's weird about his offensive game right now is he's getting open threes and he's having a hard time making them. And that's kind of a theme throughout the team. I feel like, uh, especially in Charleston, no one really shot the ball well. So offensively, I think a lot of my concerns about Maddox would just go away if he would make the shots we know he's capable of making. And I think he will. 
I think he ultimately will start knocking down those open threes that we saw him miss a little bit in Charleston because from a two point percentage, you know, he's still shooting 50% from the field, even with that 29% involved. So 11 a game on 50%, you would take that. I just think optically it looks worse than it's been. Um, defensively, I am concerned. He kind of got bullied around a little bit in the Charleston game. Uh, he was guarding a bigger guard, which, you know, that doesn't help. But it, he needs to play better defensively. Otherwise, it's going to be – Mike Young is going to find himself in tough situations where he's got to take Maddox off the floor for someone like MJ Collins who maybe plays better defense and offers more defensive versatility. But then you're playing an offense for defense game, and that's not – it's not a whole lot of fun to play either if you're Coach Young. So – I think Maddox will play better defensively. I think he had some tough matchups and the guys he had to guard. Penn State was very big and physical. Maddox is obviously a smaller dude um, and is electric offensively, but defense is never going to be his specialty. He just needs to be serviceable. And matchup-wise, you know, ODU was athletic. Penn State was big and athletic. And the guy he was guarding on Charleston was big and athletic. Uh, And he found himself in positions having to give up fouls and therefore couldn't really maybe get into a group offensively. His ability to get into the lane – or get into uh, you know the mid-range area and knock down a jump shot uh, is elite. He's done well at getting to the basket when there's an opportunity to do so. And I think his offensive ability will continue to shine through once he starts knocking down those open shots we know he's capable of. Um, his only logical, you know, if he's not going to play good enough defense, and we saw it at the end of the Penn State game, MJ Collins is on the floor for that last possession when they needed to yeah. stop. You know, MJ Collins has been super impressive. I've raved about him every chance I can get. I would love for him to take a step up offensively and start knocking down open shots. Because if he does that, I think his minutes will continue to grow and not dwindle as ACC play gets there because he does offer a level of defensive versatility and athleticism that the Maddoxes and the Padulas and even Couture. I mean, MJ Collins is a freak athlete. We saw that with the dunk in the Charleston game coming off the baseline and dunking on their power forward. Um, he's offers a level of athleticism that the other guards just don't really have. Um, but he does need to be able to knock down open shots, which to this point he hasn't really had. Uh, he hasn't really, really shown the ability to do. So the MJ Collins, Darius Maddox thing could become a offense for, for defense situation as the season progresses, which is not a place you want to find yourself. But it is very nice to have that defensive athletic wing on the bench in Collins. So uh, to the Maddox point, I think – he just needs to play a little bit better on defense, just marginally, just a little bit better. Um, and I think the offense will come. You know, it's, it's been fine so far, 11 points a game on 50%. You'd take that. But if he starts knocking down the threes, we know he's capable of hitting. Uh, he'll he'll balloon into that 15-point-per-game kind of guy that we all thought he could be coming into the season. I think Collins has a chance to be the most well-rounded freshman. I don't know if he'll be the best freshman because it kind of remains to be seen, like what Rice will yeah. provide. But I think in terms of, like, giving you enough offensively when he starts knocking down some open shots and then yep. continuing to play at a high level defensively and add the athleticism in. I mean, there's a pretty good chance that MJ Collins is the most impactful freshman on this, on this team by the time it's all said and done. I, I agree with you on Maddox. My concern too is like, if you take him off the floor, I'm not advocating to take him off the floor. Like I think he's got to start. He's got to play a ton. I'm not advocating. Yeah, that. I just yeah, think he just yeah. needs to play a little bit better. Um, he is the best player on the team. He was the best player on the team last year in terms of getting his own shot. And I see no reason to believe that, you know, unless, you know, Ronnie Rice comes in and, and starts doing, doing his thing at a really high level early. 
Um, I see no reason to believe that Maddox won't once again at the end of the year be the guy that we point to and be like, he was the guy who was, you know, elite at getting open shots. Like his mid-range game is really, really good. So you've got to have that out there. The offensive or defensive trade-off is interesting, and I do agree with you. I think that's something to monitor, especially with the way MJ Collins has been defending. I think that Maddox will be fine defensively, like over the course of the entire season. Like when we take a step back, we'll be like, he was fine, yeah. he was good enough. Just based on track record, what we saw last year, and then based on really what we saw through the first three games of the year, right? I get, I get it was a step up in competition. He struggled a little bit. But the first three games of the year, we weren't complaining about Darius Maddox's defense. In fact, we were saying quite the opposite about the defense of the backcourt on the last podcast. We were saying that, you know, we thought that Tech as a whole defended pretty well in the first, you know, the backcourt defended pretty well in the first three games of the year. Um, even when Tech had their shortcomings, you know, uh, defensively, you know, through the first part of the schedule, we thought that, you know, the defense of Padula and Maddox had been better than we than we thought. So, We'll see. I mean, I think defense is going to be a concern all year long because really, in my opinion, there's only two really good defenders on this team right now, and it's Couture and Mutz, which, I mean, they're your veterans, right? So that that helps a lot. But you just need the other three guys to be serviceable. You need Vasily to be serviceable. You need Padula and Maddox to be serviceable. Um, you know, you need Rodney Rice when he comes back to be serviceable. You need MJ Collins to just keep doing what he's doing, right? And as his minutes tick up, just keep playing the defense he's playing right now because I think his size and his athleticism just translate well to the college level and being a good defender. So it's a concern, right? The defense is a concern. But like I've kind of said, the offense, I think, is just going to be good enough all year long where even if Tech has an off night defensively, they're going to keep themselves in their game in the game with the ability to score that they have, right? Not just from three, but on a cold night from three, being able to, you know, get to the basket more regularly. Um, the mid-range game, Darius Maddox. Like, I think all that stuff starts to play in a little bit more. So there are concerns, Ed, but I, I think fans were really reactionary after the Charleston loss. Right. Oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> right. You know, oh, my God. It's like, you know, it's 2021 all over again. I disagree. You know, maybe we, we have that conversation. We sit back down in two weeks and I say I was wrong. Right. I, you know, maybe this is like 2021 all over again where we're struggling kind of against, you know, some decent teams that we probably should beat in non-conference play. Maybe we end up having that conversation later on. But I don't feel that way about this team because I just think it's a different level team offensively. And I think the defense will be good enough that it won't be as big of an issue as it was in 21, where we were like, okay, Aluma was good defensively. Mutz was good defensively. Couture was good defensively. Now we can't find any scoring right off the dribble. That was the issue last year. Now it's almost like the narrative flipped a little bit because you lost Aluma and you traded him out for Basili down low. So I don't, I just think fans were being a little reactionary after their Charleston loss. That's a good basketball team. In my opinion, we'll see how their season goes. And I think the Penn State win, like you mentioned, Ed, is going to be a lot bigger than people think. So let's pump the brakes on this team's not any good. This team's only like a top four. I, I saw this out here too. Like this team's a top 40 team, not a top 25 team. I think this is a definite top 25 team. They're, they're not there, right, because they lost the Charleston game. If they won that Charleston game and Tech was sitting here at 6-0, and they're probably ranked this week. With, with yeah, the they would be. Yeah, they would be ranked. So – I just have a hard time thinking this is actually just like a top 40 team, not like a top 25 team. I, I think the ceiling for this team is exorbitantly high. Yeah, I think the Penn State win could be much more significant than the Charleston loss when it's all said and done. 
Um, I mean, I hope I'm right at the end of the day. And then back to your point on Maddox and the off the ball or the off the dribble scoring, that's kind of been Padula's thing all year. His ability to take his guard uh, down to the post and score with his back to the basket's been pretty cool to watch. Uh, he relies on it a little too much sometimes, but it is a good move for him to have. And then also his ability to knock down open shots and off the dribble shots. But I would love for Maddox to be more assertive in his ability to go get his own shot. He seems like there's been moments where he's playing too much in the offense, and I would rather just see him go be the offensive player he is and go get a bucket. So I'll, I'll look for that moving forward. I'm sure the staff's talked to him about it a little bit. Um, looking ahead, you know, bench scoring, we talked about as a concern. Playmaking is a concern. Um, in theory, Rodney Rice will help alleviate both of those concerns to a certain extent. Uh, that remains to be seen. I'm really hopeful he can get some minutes in this Charleston Southern game coming up uh, before the schedule gets really tough with Minnesota, North Carolina, Dayton back to back to back. So I, I look for uh, – I'm really hopeful Rodney Rice can get a few minutes under his belt in the Charleston Southern game heading into Minnesota. So we'll see. Uh, that remains to be seen, but he he should help alleviate the bench scoring and the playmaking ability from the guard position. Um, I, I want to see Justin Mutz and Hunter Couture continue to be veterans, be assertive, um, and take charge on both ends of the floor. They did a good job of that on offense when they in the Charleston game, helping weather the storm. And I look for more of that to continue as the games get tougher. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, Virginia Tech's 29th in Ken Palm right now. If they win that game against Charleston, you're right. I agree. They're probably ranked. And Penn State's 30th, College of Charleston, 125. That seems low to me. I think, you know, they'll play better as the year progresses, assuming, um, you know, that, that's obviously an assumption. But they've they've played a tough schedule so far and weathered the storm very well. They're, I guess, 5-1 and one or 6-1 and one or whatever they are. So that Charleston team's pretty good. Uh, we've got, like I said, Charleston Southern on Friday. And then Monday is the Big Ten ACC Challenge, the start of that. Uh, I guess it's over the course of three days, but Virginia Tech plays on the first day of that challenge on Monday against Minnesota, who is number 148 in Ken Palm. Uh, that's obviously a game you would think you should win at home. So I, I think we learned a lot in Charleston. The ability to win without relying super heavily on three on the three-point shot was uh, something that I was really excited to see. Played three really tough games. were able to close out two of them. Uh, fell a little bit short on the on the third one, which is unfortunate, but really good learning experience there because that was a true road game uh, in a really tough environment. Yeah, they sell beer in that uh, Charleston arena. Those kids were fired up. So that was a fun game to watch because of the environment. And I think having that experience of a tough, physical, close win against ODU where you thought you had it in the bag, they came back, and you were still able to close the door and win, I think that'll pay dividends down the line as well as, you know, you win a game against a good Power 5 team in Penn State. And then you lose a tough road game against in a cool environment against a pretty good team who was playing really good ball in their hometown, in their home arena. Um, you lose by two. So all in all, I think we learned a lot in terms of winning the tough ones, winning different ways. We played a true road game. Um, the bench scoring, the playmaking will continue to get better, I, I assume. Um, one thing I do want to highlight off the bench is I think there needs to be some serious role definition in terms of Lynn Kidd and Melagel Poteet. I feel like they're both playing a little bit, but not enough to really carve out a role, for either one or the other. Um, they're both playing a little bit, and it's not enough for either of them to really get into a groove and find their footing in a game. Uh, they both finished with zero points against Charleston, for example. So I want to keep monitoring the Lynn Kidd and Melagel Poteet situation, which one of them is really going to take a stranglehold of that off the bench five spot 
guy to play, especially defensively um, on nights when you need a physical guy down low to play defense where Vasily doesn't really bring that element. So I want to keep an eye on the front court battle there for minutes behind Vasily and Mutz. Um, but other than that, I learned a lot in Charleston. I thought it was good. And I said going into Charleston, we were going to learn a lot about this team. I think we did, but we're really going to learn a lot uh, in the next you know 10-day span with some of the games the Hokies have on the schedule coming up. Yeah, I know we're going to wrap here in a second, but I just want to touch on that front court discussion yeah. real fast because Mutz, it's pretty clear Mutz is going to play like 35-plus minutes and 90 at 39 yeah. minutes against College Charleston, which, I mean, he needed to be out there. He played really well. If he's not in foul trouble, which he generally isn't, but if he's not in foul trouble, um, you know, he's going to be out there a ton. I mean, who spells Basili is a really good point you just made, right? Who's going to be that guy who's going to come off the bench and, you know, eat up the other, you know, 25, you know, 20 to 25 minutes a night? Because what you're seeing out of Basili is he's anywhere between like, 18 minutes to 26 minutes, like he's in that range, right? So who are you going to have for the other 15, 20, 25 minutes a night where, you know, maybe you're giving Mutz a blow, right? For, for you know, yeah, you have him on the bench for five minutes. Like who, who's going to come in and step up and be that guy, right? Is it going to be Linkid? Is it going to be Petit? Is it going to be both? And I think to your point, if it is both, which I think would be great, adds more depth to the front court, if it's going to be both, role definition is really important. Like having guys uh-huh. know when they're coming, like if Basili goes out of the game immediately, it's like, is it going to be petite or is it going to be kid? I know a lot of that's going to be matchup dependent, dependent because they're kind of, they're, they're different size players, right? Kids are a little bit taller, a little bit more athletic, you know, petite is a, is a bigger defender. So I'm sure that matchups will play into that a little bit, but that's something that needs to be figured out. I think because there's going to be a few minutes every game where Mutz is going to go to the bench and there's going to be more than a few minutes every game where Basili goes to the bench. And who's going to take up those minutes, I think it's going to be really important to try to figure out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the rotations shape out as the competition steps up. You know, we got Charleston Southern, then Minnesota, and I believe there's like a six-day break before you play Carolina, and then you turn right around and play Dayton a couple days later. So um, those Carolina and Dayton are both top 25 teams. So those will be really good matchups for Virginia Tech. Minnesota, obviously, a Power 5 program. They'll have power five level players on their team when they come into Castle. So some significant games coming up, uh, non-conference with a little bit of conference sprinkled in there. And I think we'll get a pretty good idea of how that front court battle will shape out as we get into those games against legit front court players. You know, Armando Bigcott's coming into Castle here shortly. So it'll be interesting to see how how the Hokies decide to try to defend him rotationally and personnel wise. Um, I did want to quickly shout out the women's team. They are yeah. down in the Bahamas. Um, they beat K- Kentucky yesterday in a pretty good game. Oh, yesterday, I should say. This is the 22nd. So they beat Kentucky on Monday, November 21st uh, in their first game in the Bahamas. They play tomorrow, November 23rd against Missouri. Unfortunately, neither of those games were televised. Kentucky wasn't televised. I was trying to find that game and couldn't find it. Not sure what's up with that. Um, hopefully the Missouri game is, but it doesn't look like it will be, which is kind of a bummer. But Shout out to them. They are currently number 11 in the women's college basketball rankings and off to a off to a roaring start, as we expected. Missouri 6-0. I don't know a whole lot about Missouri women's basketball. I apologize in advance, but they are 6-0. They did beat Wake Forest by 22. Um, but other than that, they haven't really played anybody of significance. So that should be a good test for the women's team before they come back to what I'm sure is uh, will be a weather shock when you're, you spend five days in the Bahamas and you come back to Blacksburg. Not something I would look forward to if I was them, but 
shout out to them as always 11 or uh, number 11 in the country and five or six and oh right now uh, probably enjoying themselves in the bahamas i hope kitley had 25 13 and three blocks against kentucky she just took over that game so yeah just just another day in the office for her right yeah that's uh you're going to be seeing plenty of stat lines like that throughout the year for sure yeah, and they have a they have a game against Tennessee in in Knoxville that'll the, same be a big day one. The, the same day the men play North Carolina, so that'll be a big day for Virginia Tech basketball. Yeah, yeah, it gives us reason to watch the men and the women on Sunday because that game yeah, and the Tennessee timing is perfect. I think the women play at like one o'clock, and then the men play at like three. So back to back, you have you have four or five hours of Virginia Tech hoops to watch on that Sunday. Yeah, it'll be big for sure. All right, Ed, we'll probably talk after this Minnesota game here in about a week. Um, yeah, I don't think we'll have – I mean, I hope we don't have a whole lot to say about the Charleston Southern game. So uh, we'll we'll jump back on here after the Minnesota game and give our report heading into a tough stretch of North Carolina, Dayton, and Oklahoma State. So yeah, uh, hopefully the Minnesota game goes well and we have good things to talk about next week. They should beat the <laughs> – Got to beat Charleston Southern by a bunch. Should beat Minnesota. Minnesota yep. is not very good. Should beat Minnesota. So, especially getting both those games at home, got to gotta win both of those. Absolutely. And we'll talk next week, buddy. Go Hokies.